we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It goes down. down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to Pretty Lies and Alibis. Let's seek the truth and travel the long road to justice together. What you know, alibiers? Happy Tuesday. Looks like this might be a double episode day because the medical examiner is testifying in the George Wagner the Fourth trial. So that's usually a lot of information and I don't want to combine so I wanted to go ahead and do episode two, a rundown of the Netflix series, Sins of Our Mother. This one is titled Dark Spirits. And before we jump in, big thank you to Linda for the super thanks on YouTube. I appreciate you. Music fact of the day, there was a house band essentially called the Wrecking Crew back in LA in the 60s and 70s. And they are responsible for a ton of songs that we know as far as the music itself, not the lyrics. Sometimes they would write the music that would go with lyrics. Just an amazing group. There is a documentary called The Wrecking Crew. I highly recommend it. But they were just a collective Los Angeles-based session musicians band and they were brought on to so many huge studio recordings. Some of the top 40 hits that they wrote the music for was like Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys, California Dreaming by the Mamas and the Papas, uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice, Bridge Over Troubled Water, Elvis, Can't Help Falling in Love, Little Less Conversation, The Beat Goes On, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. I mean, there are so many songs that you don't realize that the band did not play the music. It was actually the Wrecking Crew. They got their name because an older musician said they were going to come in and wreck the music industry. So it is a fascinating, very fascinating documentary. So check it out. It streams. I'm not sure where. So we're going to jump into episode two. All of the photos here, well, not all, most of the new ones you haven't seen are from Netflix. I just want to acknowledge that. Also, if you're watching this because you don't have Netflix and you don't know much about the channel, I currently am doing a mega series on this case starting from literally the day Lori and Chad were born and telling the whole story because one thing I have learned about this is you can't even scratch the surface in three episodes and there is a lot more backstory if you're new to this case or don't know much about this case that will blow your mind. So episode two opens with the 911 call with Alex the day Charles was murdered. And Alex was saying he didn't want to do CPR. 
So they show body cam footage of when Alex comes outside of the house and sits on the sidewalk. So we see Justin Lum come on screen and he said he had been in Phoenix for about a year. And then when Charles was shot, they started looking into it. And he said they were the only news outlet in Phoenix taking a really hard look at the case. And he knew this was different, but never imagined it would end up being what it is now. So they jump back to that body cam footage of Alex on the curb. He's talking about the bat. He's given the whole rundown that we know is a lie. So Justin Lum comes back on and recounts the um, and recounts where Lori's taking JJ to Burger King after the shooting. She takes JJ to Burger King, takes him to school, goes to Walgreens to buy flip flops for her and Tylee, and they do show some of that surveillance of Lori at Burger King. You can see JJ in the front seat with her. Then we go back to Alex lying about Charles hitting hitting him on the head with the bat. So then at this point, Lori and Tylee show up on scene. If you remember, like Justin Lum says, Lori never once asked how Charles was doing or what was going on and how this along with her demeanor wasn't a super big red flag to that officer that was dealing with her. It, you know, it just goes back to the whole thing that the, the ball was majorly dropped into the investigation into Charles's murder. So we switch over to the police station interview then we jump over to ja um, to um, to Janice, and look, I might get some crow for saying this. I might have I might get a lot of flack, but I will say the difference between the last time we saw Janice on TV, which was before the kids' bodies were found, and now we are in completely different places with her. You see the hurt and the pain and the tears, and I definitely think that the lack of um, holding Lori accountable, her childhood, you could tell Lori was maybe a golden child, maybe contributed to where we are, but you know, I, I know a lot of people don't like Janice and there's a lot of reasons why I think that's definitely, um, justified, but at the end of the day, I would never think my daughter could be capable of such you do see the pain i just wanted to acknowledge that because i've definitely called them out in the past and i just want to say that i do see the pain in her eyes but janice says that Lori told her charles was coming into town to take and pick jj up from school on the friday that he was murdered and Lori told janice he took jj to the car and went back inside because he had forgotten his phone and Janice says that Lori said she saw some things on Charles's phone that upset her. Then she gives the version we've all heard about Tylee coming out with the bat. Then they jump to some footage of Tylee in the police station. Janice said that Tylee heard the shot outside and she said, I guess there were two of them. And she said it didn't sound very loud and it didn't freak her out. So then we switch over to Lori's interview where she said she was inside and heard the shot. And she was freaking out and goes into mom mode and thinks that she's got to get JJ to school. So a few weeks ago on the mega series, there was one episode where I just pointed out the inconsistencies of Alex saying Lori wasn't in the house. Lori saying she was in the house and acknowledged that her and Alex didn't say anything to each other after the shooting because they were in shock. So many different stories and inconsistencies. 
Then they go to the point in Tylee's interview where they talk about uh, she went back inside to get Lori's purse after Lori came out after the shooting. That's when Tylee said she just kind of tuned everything out and ran back to her mom's bedroom. Janice says that Tylee did not see Charles get shot and she can't imagine that Tylee would make up that Charles grabbed the bat from her to help her mother. But the thing is, we know there was no DNA on that bat. And had Charles grabbed the barrel of that bat, his fingerprints would have been on there. So, you know, I know she chooses to believe what she believes, but I don't think that Charles ever touched that bat, to be honest. And Janice says that people say Tylee would do whatever Lori asked her to do, and she doesn't think that's true at all. She said Tylee's a teenager, and this is really where I noticed that pain in her eyes, very teary-eyed, and she kind of looks away from the camera. Um, so we skip to Alex in the police station where Alex is tearing, uh, telling where he sat the gun, which was in the floor of the bedroom. He says he called 911 and says he didn't call Lori. We know that's a lie. We have the phone records and Lori said it in her interview, all those red flags again, it shows them taking photos of his little boo-boo on the back of his head. And they said, we will take you to where your sister is. You know, that the interview is over. So Janice says they let him go, never brought him back in for questioning. And they told Alex that they would have to go through the DA to clear this case. But they were satisfied at the time with it being self-defense. So Justin Lum comes in and says that we find out he called 911 over 40 minutes after uh, he called Lori over 40 minutes after he murdered Charles and he didn't do uh, CPR. And that second shot was while uh, Charles was down on the ground. So Colby said he gets a call from his mom and she says Charles died this morning and told Colby he had a heart attack. So Colby wanted to know if she was okay. JJ was okay. Tally was okay. And Colby said he was freaking out. So then Kelsey comes on camera and said Colby called and said that he needed to tell her something and that Charles is dead. And she was just shocked and said, are you serious? What happened? So Colby says Lori told him heart attack. And Kelsey said Colby was so shaken up that he really just couldn't think or talk. So Kelsey calls her mom to relay the news about Charles's death, murder. And Kelsey said she told her mom that day that something doesn't feel right and it doesn't sound right. Colby said he felt uneasy and foggy and he walks in the house at Lori's where the murder takes place and sees Alex on the couch with that bandage around his head and said he would never forget the feeling in that house. So Tylee starts crying and he said she just kind of hugs him and falls into his stomach. So Colby asked where his mom was. He walks outside and asks what happened. And then Lori says Charles and Al got into a fight and Al shot Charles, which is totally different than what she said that, that morning. So Colby's like, what is going on? So Alex told Colby that he hit him with the bat, so he shot him twice. Now, Colby said, this is my dad. This is the father figure I've had in my life as far as I can remember. The fact that she would lie about how he died still blows my mind. I have no doubt that Charles was a strong influence in Colby's life. Um, I think Charles was. Unfortunately, Joe Ryan never got the chance to, to be a dad figure. Colby 
um, and Tylee were put in the middle of this. And I've always thought that, that uh, Lori just didn't want her kids to be codependent on anybody but her. But at the same time, it's just really hard because the way he treated Charles during all this, when this started back in January is such, you know, it's, it, it's hard to not, to not even think he got his side of, of the story. But Justin Lum talks about Lori texting Charles's boys, telling them that their dad's dead. And we know we went through this. It's hours before she responds back to them when they ask what happened. And they show the text on the screen where she says she's still waiting on that medical examiner report. And also that she told JJ's school that Charles committed suicide. So you have self-defense that she's told the police, her parents, Colby. You have uh, the school that he's committed suicide. And then you have Colby in the beginning that it was a heart attack. Then she doesn't tell Charles's boys anything about how Charles died. Nothing. Just nothing at all. So Kelsey said after Colby got back from uh, being over at the house, he was pale. And Kelsey said, this is it. I don't want anything to do with your family after this. And she wondered if it really, if it was really Alex who shot Charles or if Lori took the fall or if Lori shot Alex and then Alex, uh, let's start this over. If Lori actually shot Charles and then Alex took the fall for her. You know, and here's my thing. Had they swabbed for gunshot residue on everybody's hands, we might know that answer. She said that Alex also never stayed the night with Lori and how convenient he was there the night that this happened. Then they go into the audio of the call that Lori made to the insurance company to make that claim on the million dollar life insurance policy. You know, and it's funny because when they ask her the cause of death, she says, um, it's just like a long pause where he was shot. Then they ask if she knows who the beneficiary was. And she said she was. Then they jump ahead a little bit in the timeline and show those texts between Lori and Chad, where Lori's telling him he changed it. It must be Kay. And this always just makes my blood pressure go up. And Chad says, it'll be interesting if it got changed after he had two bullets in his chest. Chad says he will shower and give Lori a blessing. <laughs> and Colby says after Charles was killed was when Lori really started acting crazy, saying people were after her, and she made it seem like she had a bunch of enemies. So Lori calls and tells Colby that she's moving and that they would be back every couple of weeks. Tylee would be able to go to school. So Colby thought, you know, this is a reason to go, maybe a fresh start. Janice says the last time she saw Tylee, they were packing, and it was really hard to say bye to Ty Ty, and she really tears up at this point in the interview. Colby said when he was saying goodbye to them that Tylee was crying and looked really upset and really just didn't talk much, didn't say where they were going, and he says he he doesn't even know that Tylee knew where they were going at that point, and that, that's a good point. Maybe Lori didn't tell Tylee. We don't know. Colby gives her a hug. She's just too upset to talk, but Tylee puts on a brave face, as always, is what Colby says. So we switch back to Janice, and she said, are you going to be okay, little doll? And Tylee just burst into tears. So Janice asked Tylee what was wrong, and she said, I'm okay, Mimi. I've got everything I need. I just needed to cry. 
And Janice really struggles to talk at this point. And she said, we just sat and hugged for a long time. Colby said the next morning, they just left Arizona. And Tylee was kind of following this idea that they were in danger, according to Colby. He said Lori was playing cards on everybody, just making sure that each person kind of heard what she wanted them to hear so they would be satisfied with them moving, essentially. He said he was worried, but he just couldn't focus on them at the time because Kelsey was pregnant and she was high risk. The beginning of her pregnancy, she was super sick all the time and lost a lot of weight. And then they jumped to where their daughter Riley is born, saying it was the best day of their lives, which usually it is for a parent. And Colby just says they had their own marriage stuff and a new baby and trying to provide and figure things out for himself that he kind of was cut off from everyone. But he hadn't talked to Tylee much, and he got random texts. So on September 24th, he texts her, Hey, Ty, happy birthday. I'm so proud of you. I know you've been through most things people ever go through in their life, but you're amazing. And I know you can have an amazing life. You keep pushing. Trust God. It's all going to be not just okay, but amazing. I love you and happy birthday. So that response, at this point, we know Tylee's been murdered. And the response was, thanks, Kolbs. I love you. All lowercase. And he said it just didn't sound like Tylee. So he called Lori. And she was acting really weird and was trying to convince Colby that Tylee was in school, had a new life, new friends, you know, just trying to move on with her own life. So Colby kind of calls Lori out and says, this doesn't sound like you. Call me. And then the messages quit. So Kelsey started investigating on her own around this time and found some of their podcasts. And then we have some voiceovers from Lori. And it's interesting to hear these because I haven't heard them. They scrubbed these from the internet early, early on when the kids were missing. But it says, this is from Lori in the pre-mortal world. And I went to other worlds. I have fought in this war for millennia. And that's who I am. And I came down here to be a warrior and fight. So Kelsey remembers Charles was sending the emails, if you remember, before his murder. So they go back to Charles on body cam in this episode saying she's lost her mind. The thing is, Kelsey and Colby never read any of the emails that Charles sent. And they thought that it was just a bunch of drama and none of their business. So Colby said Charles was freaking out. And to Colby, Charles looked like the guilty party. And he said at the very least, he thought that Charles had cheated. So Kelsey starts reading all of these emails from the past. It's like Charles coming back to life almost to me, just way too late for them to do anything about it. Obviously at this point, the kids are dead. So Kelsey started reading the emails and found those family history documents. The emails were forwarded from Lori's account to Charles. So he forward, forwarded them to himself. And in one of the emails, he says she calls her own daughter a dark spirit. Please help her. And I said last night on social media, I was watching this and making my notes. Gosh, if somebody had listened to Charles, I know Adam did, but nobody in Lori's family listened. How could this situation have changed if people had taken Charles seriously? I mean, maybe we wouldn't even know these people's names. But that's just not how it turned out. So Kelsey said her throat fell in her stomach when she read that. And she also found the light and dark spirit chart. 
And Colby said, we were like, what does that mean? Light and dark spirits. So they cut to Charles on body cam saying she thinks I'm a dark spirit, whatever that means. All they're doing at this point, and I love the fact that this series that Netflix and the producer validated Charles with the emails cutting back to the body cam footage. I love that they did that because that is such a focal point of this case and that it was an epic failure of this entire case. So Kelsey saw her name on the dark light list and Kelsey's a three dark spirit. Colby said, someone's making a list of who's light, who's dark. My wife and brother are dark. My cousin is dark. Or I think he said my wife and sister are dark. Everyone on this list, basically someone who didn't love and adore my mom. And I think that's so right. We've always said on this podcast that you could tell who Lori didn't like or trust. Tylee was a 4.1 dark. So they skip over to Charles again on body cam with the officer saying, how does she pose a threat to your children? And Charles says, I don't know what she's going to do to them. I don't know if she's going to flee with them or hurt them. So they go back to Kelsey and she said she saw the guy who sent the email to, to Lori. And I was like, who's Chad Daybell? So we jumped to Dr. John from Hidden True Crime. He explains how Tra Chad created the ranking system, assigning numbers, and he claimed he could distinguish evil from good spirits. And uh, Dr. John said Chad's making this look as if it's scientific. So then we go over to Justin Lum, and he goes on to explain the whole zombie thing that when your body, when you become a zombie, your spirit's in limbo. The only way to kill the zombie and release the spirit is to kill the physical body. We go back to Dr. John explaining that uh, Chad said there were 20,000 zombies and the goal was to get rid of the zombies on earth. Um, and so if you want to know who the 20,000 zombies were, he says, you'll have to ask Chad. And they show a text exchange between Alex and Lori. It says, Alex, what are you doing? Alex says, what are you doing? And Lori says, working on Z's, which is zombies. Alex says, proud of you. Lori said, no more Z's. We are trying to get to the bottom of what we need to do to eliminate them completely. I'm sure you'll be told also. So the murders were justifiable by Alex, as we know, because he thought he was killing zombies. And if you remember back in the mega series, Zulema asked Alex how he felt the day or after he murdered Charles. And he said he was okay with it because Charles was a zombie and he didn't kill Charles. Then they show the texts about the brother, Adam, who was helping Charles at the time try to figure out a way to sort of have an intervention. And Lori says, bad news about our brother. Alex says, what's that? Lori says, Z, zombie. Alex says, really, when was that? And Lori said, as of early January, which as we know is kind of when things started Heating up with Lori at the end of January, Lori says she's leaving Charles. But um, I think at this point, she, you know, had realized that, um, that, that Charles and Adam had been talking way longer than she thought. So Alex said that explains his interest in Charles. And Lori says, more sad news. Guess who's the final zombie? And Alex says, Pops or Brandon. So they cut to Gilbert when the attempt on Brandon was made. There's body cam footage showing Brandon explain how he saw the Jeep. He saw that mirror come up, the muzzle come out, and then the shot was taken. 
He also explains on body cam to the officer that him and Melanie's are divorcing and some things happened with her aunt Lori. And he hopes this has nothing to do with that. But all he can think of is it would be that group. Um, so Justin Lum said a source told him that Alex was Lori's hitman. They show Alex and Adam at a gun range. There's a video. This was on Instagram, I believe, and it may still be. Alex has a huge bullet. I don't think I've ever seen a bullet that big that didn't come out of something on a battlefield. And he said it was a 50 caliber semi-automatic. So Rexburg PD gets the Jeep, which is registered to Charles, obviously. We knew Tylee was the main driver of that Jeep. So, <laughs> excuse me, Julie Rowe pops on. She says, well, I have no proof of this. But the Lord said to me that Lucifer told Chad that he and Lori were the Davidic king and queen, and they would start the church of the firstborn. And she said, that's a lie. Christ will start the church of the firstborn, not Chad Daybell, not Lori. He was into weird stuff, although people would look at me and think I'm weird. But I know I work for the light side, and I know Chad works for the dark side. Lucifer was talking in his ear to pump up his ego his ambition and pride. And I believe that's exactly how Lucifer got to him. Chad was wrong about a lot of stuff. He seemed like he was a good father and I only saw him treat his wife, Tammy. Well, even though I saw questionable things going on, like it's one thing if you suspect someone is having an adulterous relationship, it's a whole different deal to accuse them of murder. The last time I saw Chad in person, I asked him about Tammy and his eyes glazed over, and it's like he went into a trance, and he said some weird things. He said, I had a vision. I saw Tammy in my truck. She went off the road, hit a pole, and I could see her spirit leave her body. So Justin goes into October 9th. We know that's when Tammy gets home from her group event from the church, and what, what we now know to be Alex in a mask shoots at her. She screams for Chad. And Julie Rose says the last time she saw Chad, he said something very disturbing, which was, I don't think my plan can move forward until the spouses are dead. And I looked, him, looked at him and I said, what? So they show the text from Chad to Lori that were sent in the middle of the night. Lori didn't respond to these, but it says, hello, sweet angel. Big news about Tammy. Please let me know if you're awake and can talk. I love you. Lori doesn't respond. So, of course, he's just going to tell her. The short version is that she's been switched. Tammy's in limbo and a level three demonic entity named Viola is in her body. It happened about 10 p.m. I wonder what happened at 10 p.m. Something had to have happened. Did she confront him about Lori? Did they have an argument? What changed at 10 p.m. specifically where Tammy Daybell went from being devoted wife and mother to Viola, the demonic entity? We may never know. And it says, did something happen? Beautiful Lily, I'm eager to see you soon. Trying to hasten her departure. I love you endlessly. So we jump to October 19th and Justin Lum is on screen and says Tammy dies. 49, healthy, died at home. And he says, as we all know, it's hard not to see this was for financial gain because Charles had a million dollar policy. Tammy's, hers was upped shortly before her murder to $430,000. It was maxed out. Not to mention Brandon, had they shot and killed him, what, you know, Melanie's would have got. 
Also, they talk about it looks like Chad thought certain people had to be married to be sealed into eternity. So Zulema comes over and in a voice, and this is when she's talking to investigators. And she said, Chad did give me a blessing one time saying I would get married again. The way they presented it was in order for people to finish their mission, they needed someone who was equal to them. And they started saying Alex can be part of that for you. He will be able to help you with your mission. And that mission was being together. Zulema said she was praying and asking and got this feeling, hey, time for me to marry Alex. November 29th, Alex marries Zulema, took her last name. Melanie's marries Ian which was two weeks after they met, after they met, supposedly. They married the day after Zulema and Alex. There's a video of Melanie and Ian that plays where they're talking about they picked the wedding chapel and uh, Alex and Zulema were their witnesses for their wedding. Justin said they end up getting married within a day of each other. And Zulema text, they show a text from Zulema to Chad. It says, the Lord has placed a new yearning in my heart. It's so beautiful. I only want to read, study, learn, go to the temple and serve him. I'm really leaving the world behind. And Chad says, I'm so happy for you, Zulema. You're on the right path. You've already received your calling. Don't worry. You'll know when to gather. I actually feel you'll be among the first people to gather at the safest white camps. You're part of the team. And Justin talks about the belief that the world was going to end on July 22nd, 2020. And all these couples are marrying to make it to that deadline. So then they go into a, a voicemail from Kay Woodcock, which is JJ's grandmother to Lori. I want to check on JJ. I want to make sure he's okay. So at this point, she can't get a hold of Lori at all. And, and we know, unfortunately, at this point, JJ's dead. Tylee's dead. They play another voicemail from Kay to Lori. Says, please let us know JJ's okay. Please, please let us know we need to see him. Then they play audio of Detective Moffitt returning Kay's phone call. And Kay says, hey, how are you? Detective Moffitt, I'm well. Kay says, I don't even know where to start with all this because this is crazy. And she had the 36-second FaceTime call with JJ in August, the last one where he acted weird, was looking over his shoulder as if he was reading something. So Kay says, Lori hasn't called us. She still hasn't talked to me. So at this point, Kay finds that Amazon ordered for the Malachite ring and finds out that she used Charles's account and the Rexburg address was where it was shipped to. So we hear Detective Hermosillo's voice come in. I believe this audio was taken from the preliminary hearing for Chad. And on November 26, 2019, Hermosillo says he was contacted by Gilbert PD and asked to do the welfare check on JJ. So him and Detective Hope went to the townhouse and they made contact with Alex and Chad was standing in the door. He told Alex he was there to do a welfare check on JJ and Alex and Chad look at each other and don't say a thing. So Hermosillo asked Alex if JJ was home and he said he was in Louisiana with his grandmother. And Hermosillo says, well, that's unlikely because she's the one that called in the welfare check. So Hermosillo asked where Lori was and he said apartment 107, which was Melanie's apartment, by the way. Um, so Hermosillo wanted more officers there because he felt like something just was wrong. 
So they do the voiceover of the welfare check where they're talking to Lori. The officer says, hi, Lori, how are you? Lori says, hi. Lieutenant Ball introduces himself and says he's with the police department. And um, are you alone? And Lori says her brother is there. So Lieutenant Ball says, we had two detectives over here trying to looking for you. And they ran into probably one of your brothers. Lori said, my brother and his friend, probably. The officer said, who's that? Lori said, they've been moving. And then she says, Chad. The officer says, what's his last name? And she says, Daybell. So they spell out Daybell. And Lori says, he's an author. The officer says, wait, wait, wait. Isn't that the Chad Daybell whose wife just died recently? And Lori says, I think so. <laughs> Lord have mercy. So they jump a bit into the conversation and Lori, Lori says, I don't tell people the truth about where we are or what we're doing. People are constantly knocking on my door looking for me and I don't want to be found. So I look like a suspect, but I'm a good person. Ooh, she's laying it on thick, y'all. Uh, raised all of my kids. I've done everything I'm supposed to do in life, but everyone is causing me trouble right now. Her voice is very loud and forceful in this portion and it's almost like the louder she gets the more she thinks that she's going to convince them that what she's saying is true you also notice this back in the gilbert pd interview when charles took her purse she gets loud and forceful tylee puts her hand on her mom to calm her down so the officer says jj would be where and Lori says arizona with melanie gibb her friend so the officer says okay so can i call and Lori says yeah High pitched voice at this point, not forceful. It's very kind of, yeah, you see that difference. It's, it's not, she's not as sure at this point. I think maybe she's starting to get a little bit worried. So obviously, Justin Lum points out Melanie, Melanie Gibb doesn't answer. Rexburg goes back to Lori's house and says, hey, we can't get a hold of your friend. Lori interrupts and says, Melanie? Well, they were going to see Frozen 2 today, so they might be at the movies. The officer asked for Lori to get in touch with Melanie at some point and to call the officer back that's been trying to call Melanie Gibb. And Lori says, okay, sure, again, in that kind of high-pitched voice. And it's, yeah, go back and listen to that stuff. It's, it's very obvious. So they jump ahead to the phone call that Gibb recorded. This was after they had been married and she said, I was wondering why you told the police he was with me. And Lori said, I just needed to use, have somebody that I, so I wouldn't have to tell them where he really was. Gibb asks, is JJ safe? Lori says, he is safe and happy. And Gibb says, okay, well, that's good to hear. Lori says, are you being controversial to me? Or if you're recording this conversation for the police or whatever, I don't know what your intention is on this phone call, but I love you with all my heart. Gibb said, I appreciate those words, but if you really loved me, you would not have told the police I had JJ with me. That's not what a friend does. So Lori says, you know me, Mel, you know me. I don't think she really knew her. Chad said, there's so much Melanie that you just have to have faith. And Gibb says, you can understand my concern, right? And Chad says, I can from an outside perspective, but from an, and then Lori cuts him off and says, from someone who knows as much as you know, no. So Justin Lum's back on the screen. And the next day the police came with the search warrant. We know 
they're, they got the heck out of Dodge. They're all gone. So November 27th, the police came to Kelsey and Colby's door asking if they knew where Tylee and JJ were. And they said, we don't. And they started to get worried. So Col Colby calls his mom and says, hey, look, two detectives have come to my door looking for my siblings. What's going on? She says, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. I'll deal with it. Not a big deal. He calls Tylee's phone several times, tried to text. It would bounce back. So the next day he calls Lori and guess what? Phone's disconnected. So he sent an email. They don't cover this in the docuseries, but I went back to my notes. It says, mom, you changed your number. What's going on? Lori responds on December 2nd. I need you to know that we are safe and happy. I know this sounds confusing to you, but I need you to trust me that although there are wicked people trying to cause harm, that Jesus is on our side and taking care of us. Although we may be out of touch for a while, I will continue to help you. I love you all so much. The car and the car insurance will be paid for so you can drive it with no worries. The phones will also be good. You are precious to your mama. I love you so much. Kisses to you and Riley. And I hope to talk soon. I will continue to play, pray blessings on your family constantly. So Colby responds, okay, mom, I love you. Please be smart and take care of the kids and yourself. I don't know what's going on, but I'm praying for all of you. I'm mad and sad, but I know I can't control everything going on. Please be safe. All of you, we love you. And if you can help us at all through Venmo, that would, that would help. I'm going to be getting a second job, but until then, we could use a little help. You have helped us so much with the car and phones, so thank you for that. I love you all. So this is kind of where, like, I get really confused because you have police showing up. Colby's worried about his siblings. Um, he knows the police are looking for him, and then he's, like, responding in an email. Okay, Mom, take care. I mean, it's like, why, you know, it didn't seem urgent. So we jump to Nate Eaton's voice. Love me some Nate Eaton. Rexburg PD, he says, has a release saying there's two missing kids. They're worried about their safety. Then Justin Lund talks about how this case just blew up in mainstream media. It was on every station. It was just all over. They show clips. They show tweets about the kids. Nate says Kay and Larry have offered a $20,000 reward. And then they show Larry on an interview saying JJ would always say, Papa, if I could just have that back one time, please, God, give it to me. Colby said it all felt like a movie because the media started showing up at the door, knocking and leaving cards. They were calling his work phone. He said one guy knocked on his door and said he wanted to talk to him. And this is a really great story. And Colby said, this isn't a story to me. He said he felt helpless and he was trying to figure out what to do. So they show some of the YouTube clips that Colby put out very early on in this case, asking for his mom to come forward and do the right thing. And he said he also hoped that Tylee saw it and that she would know that he was looking for her. Another clip is Colby saying to Lori, I want you to end it. He said he loves his mom and people can hate on him for saying that, but that's his mom. He said everyone was saying something about him, saying he was involved or he was sketchy or that he knew how to lie perfectly. He said everybody had their own theory on it. And he said, I promise you from the bottom of my heart, this was my desperate attempt for my family. They show more clips from you, his YouTube. 
Then they go into Tammy's murder and then they say they exhumed her on the 11th of December, 2019. So Zulema's voice comes over and she says, um, I thought if Alex had done something, he would tell me. So she asks if they exhume this body, are they going to find anything? And she said, so I remember them saying she had become a zombie. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking they said the same thing about Charles. <sighs> Zulema. You tried to kill him with your magic Harry Potter powers. Let's not act dumb. Let's not act like this is a big revelation. Lord, these people. I'm thinking you guys are not going to do something physically to people who are turning to zombies. That's what she says. He sat back. Alex sat back and pressed his back towards the headboard and said no. And that was it. She said, uh, she stands up and starts walking away. And then Alex says, I think I'm being their fall guy. Zulema says the fall guy for what? Tell me, what is it they're going to pin on you? And he says nothing. So they cut to the day after they exhumed Tammy's body. And we hear the non part of the 911 call from Zulema's son when Alex is on the floor. And they ask who he is. Well, we know he says that's his mom's boyfriend. Obviously, this dude had no clue his mom had married this wackadoodle. Um, so Janice says they told him the first night when they called the mortuary that Alex died of clots in his lungs. And she said that is a condition that runs in their family. Colby said his grandparents called him and he could hear the pain in their voice. Colby didn't know Alex had moved to Rexburg. He also didn't know that Alex had got married. And he said it was just boom, boom, boom. One thing after another, they were starting to find out and that something felt wrong. And he realizes that's a lot of deaths. So that same night, there's an article about Lori running away from Idaho with her new husband, Chad Daybell. And Colby said, he's like, what are you doing? You're married. Then Janice says that Summer saw it on TV and calls her and says, Mom, Lori married Chad. She got married in Hawaii all these months ago. It was November 5th. I don't know when she made this call. They didn't say. Janice says, well, at least we didn't have to get a present. Uh, I didn't know what to think. I knew Tylee wouldn't like it. I said, Tylee isn't going to want another stepfather. That's just not good news. So they jumped to January 2020 when the police searched Chad's home that Tammy died in. That was simply for uh, relating to Tammy's death. Nothing about the kids. Very eerie and ironic that uh, 100 yards away, the kids are there. But this was related to Tammy. They take a bunch of electronic stuff, some journals, things like that. They jump to where on January 27th, they show Lori and Chad getting served with that search warrant for the car in Kauai. They put her and Chad in different cop cars. We just went over this on one of the more recent mega series episodes. And Colby said he'll never forget watching that video of Lori with Nate Eaton. And it shows a clip of Nate approaching them colby said that's the first time he ever saw chad and at that point chad was kind of like a fable he says they're walking to Kauai beach and it's the same place that they lived you know remember charles tiley colby for some time and jj lived on Kauai together and went to this beach they show the clip and of them in the car this in the trailer for this where they're all singing mr sandman Colby said he saw Lori looking as if she was protecting Chad. And that would be because he's special to Lori. 
Colby said he lost his mind when he saw that video. At this point, she had been served with the order to produce those kids in Idaho. I believe it was a five-day deadline. Larry is shown on an interview where he's asked, do you think she will produce them? He says, honestly, I don't think she's going to bring the kids. I'll be very surprised if she does. They jump to the day of the deadline. Then they jump to when Lori's arrested. And when she's getting off the plane, I love it. And they eat and says, welcome back, Lori. Where are your kids? Just tell us where your kids are. I love Nate Eaton. Welcome back. Welcome back to Idaho. So that was the end of episode two. We're going to do episode three towards the end of the week. Looks like I've got the whole morning of testimony in the Wagner case to catch up on with the medical examiner. So I'm going to get on that now. Hope you guys have a great rest of your uh, day. And I'll probably see you later tonight if you're hanging in there in the Wagner case with me. So have a good one, y'all.